uh, Romans 10. I appreciate our, our Sunday evening studies, and uh, it's, I think it's important that we continue, and, and I think um, usually Brian and, and Dustin would be here to have some probably going on tonight and others, so we'll just pray for this as we go on, but uh, for us, it's just a good study. We can go pretty deep in going into Romans, and then we'll be in First and Second Corinthians pretty soon, and those are pretty deep books also. Um, I think after the book of Acts and Sunday morning, we're going to go through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians and really focus on the grace of God for a few weeks on that. Uh, but in this chapter, it's a, this is a really good chapter. Romans is, is a, a book that years ago we went through this book, and uh, it's very doctrinal. And it was a really it's one of the turning points of, of ministry for my per, personally for me and it was a time when I was very focused on all of the doctrinal things of sanctification justification and, and I was really becoming getting all my college notes out and reading all these things and Don had come to me and and uh, mentioned that he says you know you they're good studies, but you, you, you're leaving Christ out of it. It's, t it's too much on the theological things. And he said, you've got to find Christ in every message. And, uh, and that one little bit of advice really kind of changed the way, especially with our Old Testament studies and things that we do. And so in Romans 10, it's very easy to find Christ in these first few verses. He says, brethren, my heart's desire... And prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And so this goes perfectly with our lesson this morning. Um, Paul is in a unique place in which he was a Pharisee, following the law, persecuting those that didn't follow the law, and now he's found Christ. And so now he's the same as we are. Now that he's found Jesus, you simply want to turn around and tell everybody you love that Jesus is real. And most of them don't want that. They, they really aren't. But you didn't want it at one time. I don't know how far back yours goes. But you know, Liz and I in our teens. It wasn't something we thought about. And so his heart's desire. Well if, if you go turn back a chapter. To chapter 9 verse 2. Um. He says, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Verse 3 of chapter 9. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. So his countrymen, not talking about his brothers in Christ, but his, brother, his blood brothers who have rejected God. He says an amazing thing. If I could trade places with you, I would. Pretty amazing. Talk about that's the ultimate of somebody who would uh, esteem others higher than yourselves. Now, it's theologically and, and impossible for us to do that for somebody, to trade our salvation for somebody else's. Uh, however, can we find Christ in that statement? Yeah, because he could. While Paul couldn't become accursed for Israel's salvation, Jesus did. He became a curse, the Bible says. He was uh, cursed as everyone who hangs on the tree. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so what we are not able to do for our loved ones, Christ has done for you and for them if they will just simply receive it. So he continues his desire for Israel's salvation in chapter 10. But then he goes into very specific detail on what is holding them up. And it says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So we, it's very easy to preach against the sins of the world, especially with some of the things going on and um, something else you can pray for. There's a church down in, it's called, uh, it's very close to Laguna Hills where Liz went to high school and where she lived for a while. But there was a shooting at a church this morning. Five, five people were shot, one killed, four. And I'm not sure, this, the, we had the shooting in Buffalo yesterday. And so all of those divided political things are going to come out now over these things. Uh, but um, we're not talking tonight in this particular message about the lost world in sin, the abortion issues and all those things. What we're talking about is those who are committed to religion that does not include Christ. And that's what he says. Look what he says. I bear witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Um, the Jewish nation, even today, if you go to the Wailing Wall or go to a temple or their zeal and passion for the God of the Old Testament is, uh, is undeniable. But they've just missed on the very prophetic uh, coming of Christ. And the reason they can't see it is because we'll learn in Acts and Romans that God has actually closed their ears at this time in history. So he says, look at they have zeal, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So what is the righteousness of God? Well, we are, it's, it's Christ on the cross. That when you become a Christian, the Bible says that you actually put on his righteousness. It's pretty amazing. Um, Anything apart from Christ, then you are seeking to establish your own righteousness. And that is the problem. It's not a thing where, you know, we are, our religion is better than anyone, and we're right, and you're wrong, and na-da-da, and our religion is this, and our denomination is this. No, there is one mediator between man and God, that is Christ Jesus. There's one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. If you decide that you're going to try to get to heaven any other way than through Jesus Christ, you are going to fall short of the glory of God. And you are going to rely on your own righteousness. And that is simply works. And that's what the book of Romans is all about. It's about letting go of the works that you do and just accepting the complete forgiveness and grace of God. It's not anything we done, not by our works of righteousness, but by the works of God. And they, the Jews never get that. They take pride in all of the religious things that they do. And many religions do today. If you notice a lot of, whether it's uh, Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, Catholicism, 
Um, so much of it is built on the works of the people. The Muslim religion, the Hindu religion, it's all based on your actions. True salvation is completely void of your works and completely relying on the works that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And salvation is simply believing and receiving what he's done for us. We'll see that as we go through this chapter. Um, but that verse 3 is, is really the, the, the bulk of the problem with religion. It establishes their own righteousness. I did a funeral uh, just last week, and, and I, I don't, you know, we were, we, we went to a little gathering after the funeral, and there was a little video clip of this person's life and their fishing trips that this person had done while they were living. And at the end of one of the, the videos, they put a verse from Isaiah. Uh, and that was like hope, you know. <laughs> Just give me something. Something that, that shows there was a religious bent to this person's life. Um, uh, but when a person dies, there's always the comments of what? Well, they're in a better place. They're in a better place. Well, not everybody's in a better place. And, but people want that so bad, they push aside the idea of confessing your sins. And I'm a good person. I've been nice. I gave to charity. You cannot go to heaven to establishing on your own righteousness. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ ends the law. To continue to, to work your way to salvation keeps the law going. Christ ends the law because the purpose of the law was what? To show us that it's impossible for us to get to heaven on our own merits. It was a, it was a school teacher, the Bible calls it. So we learn that we are hopeless without Christ. The Jews and the Israelites, they didn't get that. They wanted to, and trust me, nobody knows the law as good as Paul. He knew it. He was a Pharisee, one of the chief of the Pharisees. Uh, and he finally got it. For Moses, verse 5, writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. So, you have a choice. If you reject Christ, then you are automatically subject to the law. Even if you're not religious. And the law says, thou shalt, there's a fellow named Ray Comfort. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He has a, a ministry called Living Waters and he does uh, little YouTube videos. He's been doing this for years. He lives down in Orange County by the beach. And he goes to the beach, and he worked with Kirk Cameron for quite a while. And uh, he's probably done this thousands of times, where he just does a Q&A interviews on the beach. And he always asks the same questions. He asks the person, you know, are they Christian? And most of the time they'll say what? Yeah, I'm, I'm a... I'm a I'm a good person. 
And he says, well, do you know any of the Ten Commandments? And they always do. And he always asks them the same questions. And they'll start rattling off, probably not all ten of them, but they'll say, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. And then he'll stop them and he'll say, well, have you ever stole anything? Everybody has. They'll say, well, baseball cards when I was little. He says, okay, so if you stole something, what does that make you? And what's the answer? A thief. And so then he says, so according to the law, if you're guilty of one sin, you're guilty of what? All of them. So the point is, is that everyone is guilty before God according to the law. And there's only one way for that guilt to be completely abolished, and that is through a confession and acceptance of what Christ has done for you on the cross. Uh, he who knew no sin um, became sin for us. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. However, if you reject what Christ does on the cross, then you are now, according to the verse 5, the man who does these things shall live by them. Now you're back under the law. And you are now <clears throat> going to stand before God as guilty because you did not have the blood of Christ wash those sins away. <clears throat> I've been reading uh, a lot in Hebrews. I have a, a verse that I read a few weeks ago, and I just it's rattling in my brain all the time. It's Hebrews ten fourteen, and it says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So according to that verse, when you are forgiven of your sins, how long does it last? For by one offering, Jesus on the cross, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So how long? Forever. So who are those being sanctified? The believers. So you can be assured that your sins are gone forever. That God already sees you as perfected in his eyes. And so, however, I don't need Jesus, then you are going to try to get there on your own merits and you continue to stand guilty before God. Look at verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. And, and that sounds a little complicated. I did a lot of study on this verse. Um, but the, the, the bulk of the understanding there is, who, who do you think you are? you think you can go to heaven and stand with God or go to the abyss? You, you trying to become equal with God based on your own merits? That's not what righteousness says. Look at verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a reason. I don't know if you guys ever listened to the um, messages online. But I, I don't know how many I've done. They, they're piling up. There's been quite a bit of them now. Um, and uh, I don't think I've ever, 
I'll probably, I would say 90% of them I quote this verse. Uh, sal salvation is a, a much more um, purposeful online because I never know who's going to listen to them. In fact, we got a <laughs> we got a funny little note today from somebody from Tennessee, and so it's friends of ours, and they uh, they Wade and Beth, Dave and Karen know them, uh, but they they never miss. They're, they're, they had just moved to Tennessee. They're friends of ours from camp. And they, they listen to everyone faithfully. And uh, so I mentioned on the, on the recorded message about if anybody wants a visit on a Thursday afternoon, just let us know. And we're available. So he says, we are requesting a visit <laughs> Thursday afternoon. And so I told Liz, and Liz says, do you know how many national parks are in Tennessee? And so she's ready to go. So we'll get out there someday. But, um, but I, quote, I, I make sure this verse is, because this is, this is a pinnacle salvation verse, isn't it? Um, it it's amazing. If, if you look at the first part of verse 9, it has the word if, and it ends with you will be saved. So if you want to know how to be saved, wouldn't this be a good verse to go to? If you do this, then you will be saved. And what do you have to do? Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So God does a work on your heart. Nobody comes to me unless the Father draws him and the night I was saved, the, the time you were saved, there was something in your heart that changed because we know the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Yet God, you know, he says about King Saul in, in uh, 1 Samuel 9, or it's probably 2 Samuel 9, he says that God gave him a new heart. That God... The word of God, what does it say it does? Is it's sharpened a two-edged sword and able to get down to the, the very marrow of your being, the, the thoughts and intents of your heart. And once God changes your heart, then that word confess, it always means to the very core of it, agree. To agree with God. So when you are saved, you agree with God that you are a sinner. You agree with God that he is Lord. And you agree with God that he has risen from the dead to get victory over your sins and death. And so that's salvation. It's, it's, an, it's an agreement to where um, I had a talk. And this is always a hard thing. Because I was talking to a pastor the other day uh, talking about grace and works. And he says, well, there's one work you have to do. You have to believe. But if, even faith, I believe, comes from God. I think he changes your heart. And so I'm fine with giving him, I don't take any credit for it. Christ did it all. All to him I owe. Uh, sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Uh, for scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So whoever believes on him and I'm going to read you something from Spurgeon. I don't often do this, but we're going to talk about this on Sunday morning. So when the Philippian jailer 
is ask the question, or when he asks the question, what he needs to be saved, what is the answer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And Spurgeon writes about the difference between believing in God and believing on God. And I, I never really thought about it in that deep manner before. Um, because we know that Satan believes in God and does what? Trembles, the Bible says. So here's what he says. And, and um, I'm working on this as a study, but it's, he writes this years ago, It is not enough to believe in him as being the Son of God and the anointed of the Lord, but we must believe on him. The faith that saves is not believing certain truths, nor even believing that Jesus is a Savior. But it is resting on him, depending on him, lying with all your weight on Christ as the foundation of your hope. Believe that he can save you. Believe that he will save you. At any rate, leave the whole matter of your salvation with him in unquestioning confidence. Depend upon him without fear as to present an eternal salvation. This is the faith which saves the soul. Um, that statement, you can agree or not agree with because it's not scripture. It's written by a person. I read it because I want us as a Sunday night crowd to kind of think about, is there a difference between believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? And we certainly all know of people in our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, who say they believe in God, but there's no fruit. And um, so there is something, there, there, we're going to talk about this on Sunday morning. One of the key words in verse 9 and in Acts 16 is the word Lord. We have to confess you through your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think, Larry, we were talking about this this week, where, you know, a lot of people want Jesus to be their Savior, but they don't want Jesus to be their Lord. Yes, Carol? Um, I think through personal experience, that maybe taking out the word and saying you rely, when you rely on him, you know that no matter what, he's going to get you through, no matter what you're going through. It is. I I agree, and and boy, especially I, I will tell you, as a guy who's done weddings and funerals and all kinds of different things, um, I rarely meet a person at a wedding or a funeral or any type of community event that says, oh yeah, I hate God. I want to. They always say, well, oh, it's good to meet you. You know, I used to go to church when I was younger. Yeah, I believe in God. I, in fact, I went to church. I was baptized when I was, and they always have a story uh, somehow trying to, uh, you know, show you that they have some spiritual, but they believe in God, 
oh, I believe in God. I do. I just don't go to church. We just don't think. We think we can do. We kind of pray. Yeah, that's not enough. It's What does the word Lord mean? It means master. Literally, we're going to look into that next week. But it, it, And so Jesus, I said it perfectly, and this is the last thing I'll share on this subject part of it. Uh, one of the greatest verses that hammer this home for me is Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? We also have the verse that says, many will say, Lord, Lord, but I'll say I never knew them because they're not doing the works of the Father. And so that word Lord holds a lot of weight. And whether it's the in or the on, that's not as powerful to me as the word and meaning of, of Lord. And that question that Jesus asked, in other words, don't even call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say, because then you're lying. You're just lying to yourself. Um, the next thing we learn about this idea of faith over law is it's for everyone. Verse 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Undeniable truth. So we preach the word, knowing that we have no idea what the effect is in people's heart. We have no idea what the Holy Spirit's doing. I can think of, of my own personal experience, and, and you can probably think of yours, of, of acting as if you didn't listen, acting as if you want anything to do with God, and you go home and you think about it, and you wrestle with it. Uh, Liz has that testimony in which her, she heard her family praying for her to be a Christian and praying for her, and this John Jackson, the one that suffering with dementia he was essential in that and he was praying is that am i getting that story right liz yeah, yeah. and and liz had already accepted christ but her own right Yeah. So, and and this is the, the kind of sad part about John Jackson. He was an extremely bold witness, very Kendall-like in, in his boldness of just talent like it is. And so, if you know Liz, she's not going to be bullied into it. So, and no man's going to tell her what to do, so to speak. Uh not much as she it's so um so she just went up and surrendered her life to Christ on her own and came back down and he's going at it with her sister and uh so you don't know when it, well, that's the point whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved it's not whoever you lead to the Lord whoever you talk and and I uh, just the the purity of the text that you send is you just have no and there's nothing you can do about it it's not like you're going to get a scorecard and you're checking every day and, and preachers like to do that. But the word of God's going to, you have no idea. And, and I would think, Don, the, the ones that don't want them anymore or say stop, it's probably affecting them more than anybody. And they've 
there's nothing they can do. They, you, they've already got those verses in their brains. It's in there, and God can work on those things. And it's why I like the Gideon ministry so much. Just get the word of God in their hand. Get it to them. The shoe boxes, just you don't know where they're going to end, but it's in there. And so whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. But then we get to our responsibility. These next verses are very precious to me and you. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But they're not going to call on anybody they don't believe. So God has to do a change in their heart. But how are they going to believe in him of whom they have not heard? That's a pretty logical question, isn't it? That's our job. That's all we're doing. Whether it's through shoeboxes, text, food bags, awana, whatever it might be. We've got to get the name of the shepherd, the, the message of salvation, the very simple gospel to as many people in as many ways, just like we talked about this morning. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we've got to get the word of God out and let God do the work. How should they hear without a preacher? And that's all of us. We're not talking about the office of a pastor here. We're not talking about the preacher behind the pulpit. We're talking about anybody who witnesses. Um, how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? And how should they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. It is interesting that if you look at the um, armor of God and you look at the uh, sword of the spirit, you look at the shield of faith, helmet of salvation. Uh, and so what are the, the, the shoes? You know what the shoes are? Yeah, it's the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's interesting that the gospel is always connected to feet. Well, why is that? Well, go. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. For, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So go. you got to go. Now, we're not going to be able to go to third world countries. It costs a lot of money. But man, it doesn't cost that much money to send a shoebox. It's just an incredible thing to be part of it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I've done a very good job of communicating this over the years. Something over the years. It's something that I might try to. Um, um, I met with, uh, there's a little prayer group, uh, pastors and missionaries, just three or four guys from local areas that meet on Fridays in Planada. And so there's a missionary named Rick Burnham. He went to uh, Mexico with us one year. Speaks fluid Spanish. And he's a missionary to Spanish-speaking people. Um, and uh, so we were just uh, just talking about uh, mission work. And, and he was mentioning that very few churches today have a real mind for missions. In the past, there was more of an emphasis on missionaries and missions. And uh, it reminded me that, that you know, we pray for Becky. 
we pray for Mike Bradley, we pray for Matt Johnson. Um, but the investment we've made through prayer and finances, those are our ministries that we're a part of. Those are our absolute extensions of this body, I believe, especially in Becky's case as a missionary that we've sent from this church. And when she has a camp of 150, 200 kids and you know, a dozen of them give their life to Christ, uh, it's no different than if they came right down this aisle and, lead, and, and laid down right there and, and asked the Lord to be their Savior. And so um, the idea of, of witnesses in Judea, Samaria, uh, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, all things to all people, we're spreading that wide net, and, and that's what God tells us to do. Uh, Mark sixteen fifteen says, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. That's the whole game, isn't it? Not game is a bad word for it, but that's the whole kitten caboodle. That's much better. It's the idea of getting the gospel out, and the majority will not receive it. But the one that does, what does the heaven do when one person comes to know Christ? Just rejoice. Have a party. They rejoice. Uh, someone taught me years ago about the uh, parable of the seeds. It's a great parable, isn't it? The seeds are the gospel that get thrown out. And God, ex Jesus explains it perfectly of how it falls on this ground and falls on this ground and falls on this ground and falls on this ground. And the person... Uh, I was talking to me about it, it says well even Jesus knows that if 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 you have a 25% success in who you witness to you know doesn't seem like you're doing a very good job but that's still pretty good we know that narrow is the gate and very few go in uh, so what happens is churches feel the failure of reaching people so they compromise. They stop preaching the gospel. They do like Joel Osteen did, and you take the crosses down. And I heard a Presbyterian, I think it was a Presbyterian lady lesbian pastor the other day say that she's taking all of the crosses down and putting up Muslim uh, pictures and, and, because of, and, and reading from the Koran because that's the way that they can all come together and not offend. That is not what the Bible says to do. They're not going to all come. They're not going to like it. Um, but how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. That's what the feet do. They go and go and go. Verse 16 tells us what we just talked about. However, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed our report... So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We quote that verse all the time around here. But that's followed, it's preceded by the sadness that not everybody's going to obey the gospel. And that is something we're praying for. You know, I, um, I've made that prayer list. I'm trying to pray a little better than I used to. So, And on, on one of the, um, sections of my prayer list is is just people who I'm close to that I know 
that aren't Christians. Family members, Liz's family, friends, um, Queens's. Uh, the problem with the list is too long. It's just too long. It's just too many people on that list. Um, but Paul had the same problem. I say, verse 18, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Well, what's the foolish nation? Yes, it's the Gentiles, it's Christians today. And, and God, we're, we're in, I don't know how long this particular time in history will last until the Lord returns, but it is a time um, that starts in the book of Acts and has gone till, it will go on till the Lord returns in which there is a general closing of the eyes and the ears of Israel and an opening of the eyes and ears of Gentile nations. Um, it doesn't mean individual Israelites can't get saved. There's, there's Messianic Jews, a lot of them. Um, question? They will be there. There's 12,000 from each tribe. And so, and that'll be after the Lord returns and it'll, things will change again. Yeah. Um, that's where Jehovah Witnesses actually began believing they were the gathering of the 144,000. Right. Well, they had to do that because when they the church grew larger than 144,000, they had to change their teaching and doctrine. To It's only the one. So Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, so this is where we are. We're, we're just kind of uh, uh, open to the gospel because of the grace of God and his dealing with Israel. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I like Paul, he just continues to quote verses. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. That's us. That's why it's all Christ. We didn't ask for it. There's none righteous, none that doeth good. There's none that, you know the rest of that verse? Seeketh after God. On our own, without the drawing, nobody comes to me unless my father, what? Draws him. There's a work in the heart of a person. That's an encouraging verse because I'm sure anybody who knew me in high school, Liz did, the thought of me being a preacher or a pastor or even a Christian just never crosses anybody's mind. I had no interest. I had, didn't even know a Christian. I had never met a Christian. And, uh, but God had a different plan. God had a different. So that gives you hope for your loved ones. It really does. It, it, and, and I was uh, meeting with Ginny uh, Flowers and Neil Flowers and uh, uh, Kathy and Travis. Remember Kathy and Travis and they had given us that organ years ago, and their daughters are getting ready to graduate high school, and um, and I I was relayed the story again of at the time Elnora, do you remember Elnora Brown? 
Uh, that's uh, Baron Wendell Warren's mother. And she played a little organ for us for a while in our church. She was really sweet. And uh, she was dying. And uh, I remember I went over and I gave her a couple books to read to encourage her. She was bedridden. And she says, I don't have time to read. I don't have time to read. I only have a few more days left to pray for my family. And my poor Ginny is stuck in that Mormon church. And so they came and they gathered around her. And she looked right at Kathy and said, you need to stop dating that Mormon boy. And you need to get in a good church. That, that is not the gospel. That is not the truth. I pray. And, uh, and shortly after she died, they left the Mormon church. And, and they, had, they were coming here for a little while. She met Travis, a Christian young man, married him. They're gonna, believe it or not, they're celebrating their 20th wedding anniversary. This might be 25th. But anyway, it's, that is what we're doing. That's what we pray. Um, I was made manifest for those who did not seek me. The, the people you least expect, God can do their work. I'm sure there were very few people that thought the Apostle Paul would ever come to know Christ. And uh, when they did, they didn't believe him, did they? But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And that is our lot in life is to share the beautiful truth of Jesus Christ to contrarians. <laughs> and it can get frustrated, and it can get tense, and they can get mean. But remember, the rudest of them all was Paul. He was arrested, murdering, and persecuting, and God said he's a chosen vessel of mine. That gives us great hope. Here's what the Bible says if 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. I got two more portions of scripture to read and we'll be done. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I just love that verse. It is crazy to think that I can stand up here, read some verses, uh, John three sixteen. Um, my uh, I, while I really enjoyed Courtney and Brian's testimony on our awards night, my favorite part was those two little boys going through the cube and sharing the gospel as Courtney was kind of changing it. And it, it's crazy that those two little boys, uh, how old were they, about seven or eight? Or what do you think? They, and, and they have the ability to go to any adult and change their life forever. The simplicity of the gospel in relation to what it does, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And that's what he says here. It, it, not, that the pre, not that the gospel is foolishness, but how God gets it out there using this thing and, and us, it's incredible. He says the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. And that's the kind of balance we even see in the world today. There are the highly intellectuals. We were talking about this before Sunday school today about you know scientists who 
when I was in high school, and uh, everybody but Courtney probably knows this, Marcy probably is young enough not to know this too, and Liz, of course. Um, but when we took science in school, I, I told the kids one day, I said, you know, I, I, my science teacher never taught me about DNA. And they said, well, what a terrible teacher. Why wouldn't he teach you? Well, why didn't my teacher teach me DNA? It wasn't even discovered. And so as they continued to look for a missing link and proof of evolution and proof of the Big Bang Theory, what did they continually find? Proof of a designer. Proof of, of, of such uh, minute detail that there's no way it could have happened by accident. And uh, one of the quotes I read years ago in, in look, going to a little seminar on this was a, a science teacher that was teaching his class about evolution and Big Bang. And he says, as we go through these DNA details, it's going to look like somebody designed this. But get that out of your head right away. There's no way anybody designed it. There is no God. But it's certainly going to appear that way. Well, that's what this verse is saying. The, the, the Jews request a sign, and that's the religious that want some kind of a relationship with God outside the Bible and some type of meditation or some type of thing. And then over here is the intellectuals that eliminate God based on evidence of science. But we, verse 23, preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. And that's how it is. You speak to those in religious cults and organizations and Jesus messes up everything their great-grandmother taught them and their grandmother taught them and they don't want to let go of their religion and over here the intellectuals uh, my brother is an intellectual and he will tell you he says well I'm not uh, going to give up my free will to any Santa Claus in the sky and I can think for myself that's that pride Larry talked about in Sunday school today but we preach Christ but to those who are called, verse 24, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The weakest God is, is so much greater than the strongest any man could ever be. And the uh, foolishness of God, which doesn't exist, but the basis of, basics of God it's so much more intellectual than anything we can come up with with our own brains. So what do we do? We preach Christ crucified. And that's what he told Timothy to do, right? Preach the word in season and out of season. We are saved by grace. And how beautiful of the feet are those who take this simple truth and share it in any way possible, whether it's through a shoebox, whether it's through a bag of food or a text, Get that word out and let God do what he's going to do with it. The sheep will hear his voice and they will follow him. And as you see these two messages today, I think God is really emphasizing a greater focus on the gospel in our community. I was talking a little bit with Silas after and, and um, um, that it really feels like um, that's where God is really moving to do a more... I don't know how it's going to look, but more opportunities um, to be able to share the gospel and see what God does. See what God does. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of your gospel. But yet, Lord, we see the responsibility of taking our feet 
and going into our community. Uh, they're, they're not going to come here in many cases. It takes a lot to walk into a church if you've never been to church before. But God, there are ways where we can take this truth to the community. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would direct, that's not to be through myself or anybody in this room, uh, but Lord, uh, as Willie showed us with his basketball and as Carol showed us with the shoe boxes and Jim has shown us through Nineveh, uh, there are opportunities out there to open doors. And Lord, uh, uh, we're willing to go through those doors, willing to... Uh, to follow you and take our feet where you lead us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.